This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back. It's so good to see you here after uh, our little vacation, our little uh, Yumta vacation that went on for the entire month of September, October. And uh, we are now back, and we are together, and we're learning, and we're growing, and I want to thank you all for coming out. I want to thank the amazing staff at Yeshiva Beth Yehuda and Partners Detroit for putting out such a beautiful spread. I want to thank the amazing folk over at Torah Anytime. It's an app, it's a website, and it's filled with amazing knowledge. Feel free to head on down to www.torahanytime.com or to the App Store and look for torahanytime.com. Download it, absorb much information, become great. Come back to me and report how that worked out for you. Okay, this week we are going to start in the beginning because that's what the Parsha is for this week. Beratius, we're going to start in the beginning and we're going to try to tackle a thorny issue. An issue that might get you all and me all, or mostly me, in trouble. Age of the universe. Okay? How old is the universe according to Jewish opinions? How old is the universe according to scientific opinions? And how do you make the two shtim, as they say in Yiddish, which means come together? Now, in, this, uh, in preparation for this, I'll tell you an interesting story that happened to me. I was once, uh, I was teaching somewhere, whatever, and, and a lady comes over to me after the class, and she says, you know, I went with my, cl- uh, my, my, my child studies at a certain school. I'm not going to name the school, but it's, it's, not a, it's not an Orthodox school, but it has, it's a community school, so it has some Orthodox teachers. And they went on a class trip to a science museum. And in the science museum, one of the kids' exhibits was where they have all the sand and you kind of dig for dinosaur fossils. You know what I'm talking about? You've probably been at one of these things. I'm sure you've spent many hours of delight digging for fake fossils and sand at some point in your life. Who hasn't? But anyway, so this mother says to me, I was chaperoning my kids' class. And she says there was a, a, an Orthodox woman who was a teacher in the school. And she was at the event. And the whole time she was like, ah, we don't believe in dinosaurs. <laughs> Now the problem is, uh, I don't know if you, if you believe in dinosaurs, if you don't believe in dinosaurs, do you believe in the moon? Do you not believe in the moon? You know what I'm saying? We have, we have fossils. They're very hard to reconcile. They're actually hard, if you ever touch them. They're kind of hard. Fossils are hard. And <laughs> it's like, you wouldn't know a fossil if you got hit over the head with it. Well, if you got hit over the head by it, you, you might find that it's, it's a little hard to deal with. Fossils are real. Fossils started getting dug out of the ground in the early 19, 19th century, so in the early 1800s. And before you know it, they're finding these bones of large lizards. The word dinosaur comes from terrifying lizard, right? Dinosare, right? So they're finding these massive, terrifying lizards all over the world. And whether you want to believe in them or not, they are there. Unless you want to be the person who goes to the... Uh, to the Natural History Museum and tells your children, we just came back, we were just in, um, we were just in Washington, D.C. And of course, the Smithsonian, one of their uh, museums is the Natural History. They've got all these massive dinosaur bones. So what do you say to those kids? Like, oh, this, this all is not real. We don't believe in them. Those are not real bones. Those, those didn't happen. How do we understand that? Is the world 6,000 years old? 
or actually no one says it's 6,000 years old, is the world 5,783 years old, like we just experienced in Rosh Hashanah, or is the year the world 13.5 billion years old, as the scientists would tell us? How do we figure this out? Now, unfortunately, often, people like to create conflict, so they make it sound like there's this conflict between science and religion. You have to decide, do you believe the science or do you believe the religion? Now, of course, the fascinating thing is the amount of scientific fraud going on right now. In scientific papers, in research papers, there have been articles, journal articles written about the amounts of scientific fraud going on right now, and it is so incredibly frightening. The frightening thing about it is that we follow the science not just for things like you know climate change and COVID vaccines, which may be more controversial, but we, we follow the science today for drug recommendations, for medications. And if someone's getting funded, if you have a researcher is getting funded for five years by the National Institutes of Health, a $2 million grant for him and his lab, and they're researching the effects of acetylcholine on, you know, on cancer or whatever it is, and then after five years of research, he discovers that it has a no effect. It doesn't really have any effect. He's not getting renewed for his next five years of research. So he's fudging the data. And there's tremendous, I mean, if you, Google it if you don't believe me, right? Of course, that's the most reliable source. If you don't know anything, just, just Google it and you'll find. No, but really, look at the scientific articles written on, in Lancet, in Nature Magazine, in the most prominent science journals describing that science today is not exactly this bastion of reliability that it used to be. So already we're getting to a point where you say, well, do you trust the science or do you trust the religion? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I'm not really sure, right? But... I, I am a very big proponent of the fact that there is no debate between science and religion if you understand science properly and you understand religion properly. Today, I would like to present you with five different possibilities of understanding this one conundrum, the age of the universe conundrum. How old is the world? 13.5 billion years old or 5,783. Rabbi Levine, would you be so kind as to get me either a Diet Coke or a water? Oh, I have some (laughs) Diet Coke and water already right behind me. Today is a Diet Coke kind of day. You know why? Because my kids finally went back to school today after being on vacation for what I think is too long. Okay, hold on a second. Here we go. Let me make a quick, not a quick bracha. Let me quickly make a bracha. You understand the difference? Not let me make a quick bracha, but let me quickly, with rapidity and enthusiasm, make a bracha. Hold on a second. Okay, back to uh, our conversation. Okay. We believe in Judaism that science is actually an incredible buttress and support for godliness. I was once part of a group of people that we were trying to grow together and learn together, and we gave ourselves an assignment to read a book that will fill us with wonder and faith in God. And the book that I chose to read was a biology book. Right? It was not written by a Jew, it was not written by a religious person. But when you read biology and you learn the incredible complexity 
of the human body, of the animal life. It's just, it's, it's amazing. We're told by the Navi Yeshaya Isaiah in chapter 40, verse 26, Su'u Enechem Marom. Lift your eyes to the heavens and see and perceive who created these. Who created this vast cosmos? Who created the moon that just hangs in the sky? How cool is the moon? Right? Just hangs out in the sky 250,000 miles away. Right? Just there, chilling, like our sibling. Sometimes we like to see him, sometimes a little bit less. You know what I'm saying? He's just there for us. And the moon and the sun. Do you know that the sun, listen to this insanity, the sun just made a burp, a solar flare, okay? The solar flare that it burped went out over a hundred, wait, I better check this. I better, I better fact check myself. Hold on a second. Here we go. Solar flare. Um, no, no, it was like at least a million, but I think it might have been a hundred million. <laughs> Today, like, what do we know the difference is? You know what I'm saying? Here we go. Um, news. Yeah, okay, so uh, not so long, just, just a million, about, about a million and a half miles. It, it burped out, the sun burped out a massive sneeze of fiery gases that went out a million and a half miles. Wow! Right? How can you not look at the heavens and be filled with the wonder of God? The Torah tells us that the more you study science, the more you should be enamored with God. Rambam tells us, Rav Moshe ben Maimon tells us, that there is a commandment on each Jew to know that there is a Creator. How do you know? You could say to believe, to think, to have faith, but it says, no, you, you have to know. And, and how does the Ramam say, how, how, do, how do you know? He says, go out and study nature. You'll find God. If you go out and study nature with an objective eye, you're going to find God. And of course, Rabbi Huda Halevi in the Kuzari says, chapter 167, that God forbid, that there should be anything in the Torah that contradicts what is manifest and proved in the world. So, how do we understand this concept where we believe that the world is 5,783 years old and we believe that the world, or then science believes the world is 13.5 billion years old. So today I'm going to try to go through five different ones. I'm going to, the first two I'm going to go with, they're not necessarily the strong... By the way, the coolest thing about Torah... Here's one of the cool things about Torah. Not the coolest. I don't know. I'm not a good judge of the coolest thing. I'm not sitting there with a panel. I give this Torah thought a seven. You know what I'm saying? That's a nine. But one of the coolest, most beautiful thoughts of Torah is there's a concept called Shivam Param La Torah. There's many faces and many facets to the Torah. The Torah is like a diamond. When the light shines into a diamond, it shines off to its many facets and beautiful hues and colors. So too the Torah comes down to this world and animates us with so many different ways. So like, for example, I have a class called Shabbos Three Ways. I teach all about Shabbos and I give three different perspectives. And guess what? They're all true. And whichever one moves you most, so be moving, right? The same thing here. I like to present five different ideas 
And whichever one works for you, works for you. Some of them may be considered to be weaker arguments, some of them may be stronger arguments. Whichever one works for you the best, so let it be. Idea number one. The ready-made universe. The ready-made universe. Okay. God creates Adam. Let's, let's make one thing very clear, because this is going to apply to all the answers. When we say the world is 5,783 years old, we say it's 5,783 years from the day Rosh Hashanah was 5,783 years from the day that Adam was created. That's why in Shul, on Rosh Hashanah, we said, Hayom Haras Olam, today is the birthday of the world. The birthday of the world, no one, no one, no one, not the scientists and not the rabbis, say that the earth was created on Rosh Hashanah. When we say it's the birthday of the world, we mean that's when Adam moved in. It's like you build a house. When was it inaugurated? When the family moves in. Not when they finish the outside, not when they finish roughing, not when they finish the carpentry, not when they finish... The cabinets, not when they put in the lighting, not when they put in the electric, when they put in the human beings. That's the beginning of the house. So the beginning of this world is when Adam is created. Now, there's a Gemara that says, Everything that Hashem created in His world, they were built to their full stature. Litzivyonam nivru, they were built according to their will. Which means that Adam was built as a full-fledged human being. He was not born as a baby, right? He was born as a full-fledged human being. So, ladies and gentlemen, imagine if you were a dentist... And imagine you are a dentist in a very early world. Somehow you got the opportunity... Or, 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 imagine you are a dentist in the future, but in the future they have time machines. Okay? So you decide you're going to go back. You want to help the first human being ever. Who was Adam's dentist? Adam didn't have a dentist. Now he also didn't have so much processed sugar. And he also didn't have corn syrup. Right? And he also didn't have Coca-Cola, which is highly acidic, like I'm drinking right now. So I imagine Adam's teeth would have gone a lot longer. But, again, you're a dentist that decides, I would like, if not, I'm going to go back and visit with Adam. If he needs dental work, I'll be happy to give him any kind of dental work, drill some cavities, put in some, you know, some silver, whatever. There's no one around to steal it. No problem putting gold fillings, whatever. And um, if, if his teeth are in great condition, I'd like to see them as well. So you get in your little time machine and you go back to Adam, right? Adam's walking all in the garden. He hasn't even met Eve yet. And suddenly <laughs> the dentist shows up. He's like, wait, are you supposed to be my spouse? He's like, no, 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 dude. I didn't sign up for that. I'm the dentist. He says, dentist, what's that? I'm here to fix your teeth. Fix my teeth? I don't have any problems yet with my teeth. Let me take a look. Hold on. Just sit down here. Open your mouth like so. And he's got his clamps and he's holding open Adam's mouth. And he starts looking at Adam's teeth. Now, he's a very talented dentist. He knows that you can look at a person's teeth and you can tell a lot about a person. So he looks at Adam's teeth and he says, Wow, I gotta say, for a 20-year-old man, your teeth are looking fine. Adam says, I'm not, I'm not 20 years old. 
He says, no, 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 no. I, trust the science. I, I'm a scientist. I know, how to, I know how to determine things. I know how to determine the age of teeth. You are at least 20 years old, maybe even 25. I usually guess low to flatter my customers. Okay? <laughs> Adam's like, no, no, no. Dude. Like, I'm not. I, I'm really not 20 years old. I was born today. Oh, come on. All my customers say that. No, no, no. So Adam is sitting there having a fight with him. So then the dentist wants to prove his point. So out of his dentist bag, he pulls a, a chainsaw. I don't know why the dentist has a chainsaw, right? Maybe it's a Russian dentist, okay? Anyway, he got, I, I had a Russian dentist work on me one time. Disaster. He told me, in Russia, I'm engineer. Why are you a dentist now? I don't get it. Okay, fine. Anyway... <laughs> He pulls out of his dentist bag a chainsaw. And he says, Adam, let me help you with making a house. I see you don't have a house over here, but there's lots of trees. I come from the future. I know how to make a log cabin. Adam says, what's a log cabin? He says, hold on, let me show you. So he cuts down a big tree. Adam's in the Garden of Eden. And he cuts down a big tree. And he looks at the tree that they cut down, and he says to Adam, see this tree? This is good wood. This is good, strong wood. Not the soft wood that they're planting now that grows in 20 years. This tree is 112 years old. I could see that it survived droughts and fires. And Adam's like, um, <laughs> that tree just got here. That tree just got here. As a matter of fact, it was in the earth until I prayed for it. This is what the Gemara says, the, the, sorry, the Torah itself in Genesis chapter 2 or 3 says, I think chapter 2 said that when at first, when God created the vegetation it was kind of staying below the surface until Adam prayed for it and then it popped up so now he, he cuts down a tree a fine birch, and he says, look at this tree, oh, this is a great log old wood, strong wood, it's 110 years old, I can see this tree, I know, I know how to read the rings, Adam's like, what rings? He's like, let me show you over here, see this? And Adam's like, wow, okay, you, so you, you think this tree's 110 years old? He says, yeah, follow the science. And Adam's like, I've never heard of this thing called science. I know that I was just born today, but like, I'm learning so much. Teach me more, dear scientist. So the dentist goes down to the ground and he picks up a rock and he says, you see this rock? This is igneous rock. He says, igneous, what's igneous? He says, don't wait, just wait. Your great, 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 great grandchildren will be in earth sciences and they're going to learn about igneous rock and sedimentary rock. And they're going to learn that this rock is many, many hundreds of millions of years old. The point is, God created a ready-made universe. The rocks in it were created fully formed. A fully formed rock under normal conditions takes millions of years to form. Sand. How do you get sand? By the erosion of water. We see it. We see how water erodes rocks, and especially softer rocks, and turns it into sand. So a beach full of sand takes millions and millions and tens of millions of years. Or God could create a ready-made beach. So idea number one is our, our, our sun. Our sun's the perfect, it's amazing. Just by some kind of crazy coincidence, according to science, we just happen to be in that perfect zone where if we were a bit too close to the, if we were closer to the sun, we would roast, and if we were further away, we would freeze. But we're in the Goldilocks zone. 
Everything's just perfect. We've got the moon right there to take care of our tides. We've got the sun right there. And the sun is at the Goldilocks point. You know, if you actually follow what's going to happen to the star, the sun is a star. Stars eventually turn into these massive giants, red giants. They explode out and then they implode back. So if we're around for another couple hundred million years, the earth will be subsumed by the sun. The sun will grow out to be so big that it can even possibly engulf, probably won't, it's a smaller star, but it will, we, we will fry for sure. So we, we, the, the, the sun is right now at its perfect Goldilocks spot. It's just burning beautifully. It's got all the fuel it needs. It occasionally makes million-mile belches, but it's the perfect sun for us, right? The perfect sun. The perfect sun is a process. A star goes through a process that's billions of years long until it forms, and then it starts burning bright, and then it starts burning hot, and then it starts exploding out, and then it starts imploding back and creating a black hole. A sun creates billions of years to create it, unless it was just created ready-made for us. God could have created a world that was ready-made with petroleum, he knew that the human beings at one point would need to power planes, trucks, and buses. So he created a world with fossils and petroleum and layers and layers and layers of previously dead animals so that they can turn into petroleum and power our planes, trucks, and buses. Everything was ready-made for us. The world could theoretically be 5,783 years old and it would just be created perfectly ready as a ready-made universe. And a ready-made universe looks like it's billions of years old because all the ingredients to make a perfect universe take billions of years to create if you create it the normal way. Idea number one. Idea number two is sort of similar to idea number one. I'm going to go through this very quickly. There is currently a process where you can turn Aunt Edna into the diamond you always knew she could be. What do I mean by that? Right? Aunt Edna was a tough lady. A lot of elbows. A lot of troubles. Always complaining. Ah, you don't make the schmaltz herring like my mother used to make in the old country. <laughs> right? You know Aunt Edna. And she's always telling the kids, wipe your feet and this and take your shoes off. She's a tough lady. But you know that Aunt Edna is really a diamond inside, right? Even though she's got critical words for this person's food and critical words for this person's house, she's got critical words for everybody. But unfortunately, she passes away from the world at a certain age, whatever it is, and they have a service now where if you cremate Aunt Edna, which, again, we don't believe in cremation, so please do not cremate Aunt Edna, but there is a service where people who cremate their Aunt Edna's can then take the ashes and turn it into a diamond. That's for real. What is a diamond made out of? Carbon. When Aunt Edna finishes <laughs> roasting in the oven, that's why we don't, again, we don't cremate. We don't cremate. Right? We bury our treasures and burn our trash. Jews don't cremate. We have only treasures. When Aunt Edna has finished her time in the oven, all that's left is a bunch of ash. It's mostly carbon. 
You can take that carbon and send it off to a, com a company, and the company goes through a whole process. They sift through it. They remove any impurities. They make sure it's just pure carbon. And then they put it through an intense process of heat and, and high temperatures, and they, they bombard it with temperature, fluctuations, and heat, and pressure, intense pressure. And after three days, Aunt Edna is a diamond. You can wear Aunt Edna on your hand forever, because diamonds are forever. forever. Exactly. <laughs> they used to say diamonds are a woman's best friend. But sometimes diamonds are a woman's end. <laughs> now, if you walk into a scientist and you show him, you say, Oh, look at this thing. I got a new ring with a big diamond on it. And the scientist says, Oh, how nice, a diamond. Can I tell you a little bit about diamonds? And you say, of course, scientist, you can tell me about diamonds. He says, do you know that diamonds are many millions of years old? And you say back to the scientist, like, I, Aunt Edna was definitely older in her later years, but not millions of years old. You know what I'm saying? She was like 94, 97, 102. She wasn't millions of years. And he says, no, 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 that's, that, that diamond's millions of years old. And you say, no, 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 doctor, this, this diamond here, May God bless her soul, was only 97 years old. He says, what are you? Follow, follow, the, follow the science. We know how diamonds are made. The world went through a very catastrophic period. There was something called the Great Flood. During the Great Flood, as the, the Torah tells us, the entire earth was covered with water, up to 15 amos, about 30 feet above the highest mountain, and the water was, there was boiling hot sulfuric waters coming down from above, rain and sleet coming down from, sorry, boiling hot sulfuric waters coming from below, right? We know there are thermal vents under the ocean where the water coming out is like 600 degrees, right? Crazy superheated water on the bottom of the ocean. These thermal vents, and the Torah tells that all opened up. So you have these crazy intense thermal vents opening up, and there's water, cold water coming down from on top, the world went through an insane amount of pressure and heat. It's very possible that throughout that process, things look much older than they are. Now, I'll tell you why this is the weakest answer. So now I'm not going to say the different answers. I'll tell you why this is the weakest answer. The reason why we believe the world is 13.5 billion years old is not just from what we see on the earth. It's also from what we see in the heavens. But, for the record... We're not exactly always so amazing at reading things from the past because there's no way to prove it yes or no. We, we can only go back. We can't go forward anymore. Okay, but theoretically there could be things that we find in the earth, fossils and dinosaurs and all kinds of things that may have just been animals from before the marble. That's answer number two. I don't like that one, to be quite honest with you. Let's go to answer number three. The world is 13.5 billion years old like the scientist told us. And when it talks about six days of creation, we're talking about eras. Now, this is a, a, a matter of dispute amongst the commentators, but so is everything. And that doesn't stop us from teaching both. Right? When it says that Basia, the daughter of Pharaoh, reached out to pick Moshe out of the basket, some people say she sent 
Her maidservant said, go get me a Moses. And some people say her hand grew. They're both opinions in the Talmud. Which one is true? We teach both. We're going to go with all. I want to teach you something fascinating. There is a Medrash Rabbah that talks about the first evening. And it says, the first day of creation, Amar Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon, Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon says, Yehi Erev Ein Ksiv Khan. It doesn't say here, let there be something called evening. Elavayihi Erev. And it was evening, indicating that evening was already a thing. Mikan Shahaya Seder Zmanim Kodem Lachain. This teaches that there was a certain system of time prior to that very first moment of creation. There was a different system of time. Amar Rabbi, Rabbi Avohu, Rabbi Avohu says, This teaches that Hashem was creating worlds and destroying them, which we'll get to later. But the point is, the most important thing I want to focus on is, Amar Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon, Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon says, Mikan zmanim kodem There was an order of time before this creation story. The order of time may not be the same. We know that the, when we count a day, a day in our time is the time it takes the world to do one full spin. So we're facing the sun at this exact angle, turns 24 hours, and boom, there it is again. How you doing? Right? Good to see you. Stop belching publicly. Okay? So the sun is there, Right? The fourth day of creation is when the sun and the moon and the stars were put into place. How do you understand that? If the world is six days of creation, a day is relative to the sun. So Rabbi Yehuda Bar Simon says in the Medrash Rabbah on Bereshis that there was, a, there was a different seder of time. There was a different order of time beforehand. Now here's where it gets awesome. You ready? In the late 1950s, a magazine, Scientific American, went and polled leading scientists all over America. And they said, what is the beginning of this universe? And the vast majority of the scientists at the time said, beginning? What are you, some kind of crazy Bible fanatic? You believe there was a beginning? The world has always been here. Now, mind you, scientists had always been saying that since Aristotle. Aristotle, you say? That guy from the Greeks? Yeah. Aristotle, the guy from the Greeks, 2,500 years earlier or so, a little bit less than 2,500 years earlier. Scientists had been parroting this idea that Aristotle had put out that the world was always here. And when you ask the leading scientists in America in the 1950s, when did the world get here? They said, don't be, don't be religious on us, like, oh, you believe in a beginning. You believe in a beginning like the creationists, like the religious people. The world was always here. You know how we know this? Because we're scientists. And we measure what we can see with our own hands and feet. And we have tools and measurements. Oh. So everyone said, okay, fine. I guess the world's always been here. Then there was a couple fellows on their roof, the Bell Labs, Penzias and, come on, what's Penzias' friend's name? You've got to know this. You Google it for me. All righty. 
Franzius and his chaverim. They were hanging out on the roof of the Bell Labs in New Jersey with very, very powerful uh, telescopes, and they noticed that everything is running away from us. Right? Wilson. Wilson, there we go. Wilson and Penzias were hanging out on the roof when they noticed that the whole world is running away. Everything is expanding. And they realized it wasn't just like, if, if everything was like, if things were just moving, right? If you go out on the street, some cars are moving towards you. Some cars are moving away from you. But in the universe, everything is moving away from us. How could that be? It must be that we're still exploding out. And they came up with a theory that later got known as the... Big Bang. Big Bang Theory. Which basically states that there was a creation. What do you know? Like those creationists, those Bible weirdos kept saying for thousands of years that there was a creation in the beginning to it all. I guess they were right. But, they all said, the Bible says the beginning of creation was, let there be light. And, no, 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 it was just a big bang. There was a big explosion and all this stuff came out. Where did all this stuff come from? We don't know. We still don't know. But they said, okay, there was a big bang. And 20 years later, the big bang was accepted science. But not the creation stuff. That's weird because you look in Genesis 1.1. It says, and God said on the first day of creation, let there be light. But then we get to another problem, ladies and gentlemen. The problem is, if you take all the stuff in the universe. Now, when I say all the stuff, I'm... I'm not just referring to the stuff in your closet and in the basement. I'm talking about all the stuff in the universe, okay? All the planets and the asteroid belts and the stardust and the massive nebula and the galaxies. And you put it all back into where it came from at the Big Bang, it don't fit. And as we learned... If it don't fit, you must acquit. <laughs> exactly. Or you must quit. So we had to quit that theory. And we said, wait a second. How can we figure out? How could it be? How did everything fit back in there? And then science realized that the only way you could have, and we have this law called the Law of Conservation of Energy, which basically states that energy is never, ever, dis- dis- never disappears. It just changes form. How can we fit all the energy for the entire universe, back into that little tiny spot where the Big Bang happened from. It had to be the smallest kind of thing that can come out with energy. And what's that? A light ray. Whew. So then we discovered that, guess what? The beginning of creation was, boom, an explosion of light coming out. Now that, ladies and gentlemen, is just mind-boggling, because guess what those creationists, those weirdos, the Bible thumpers have been saying all along that God said on the first day of creation, let there be light. And now science says, wait a second, yeah, 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 the Big Bang was an explosion of light, and all that light eventually changed form, became heavier and heavier elements as they collided with each other, which we'll get to in a moment, and that is how you have creation. Now, mind you, by the way, this is amazing. The Ramban, Nachmanides, on Genesis 1-4. I'm going to read to you a translation of it. Ramban passed away in the 1200s. Instead, from the substance created on the first day, he's describing how everything was created on the first day, and then later it was made into various elements later. So he says, instead, from the substance created on the first day, the ferment was made on the second day, and on the third, the waters and the dust were separated, and the dry land, which he called earth, was formed. 
He then decreed for them per- permanence and said concerning them, and God saw that it was good. So Maimon Nachmanides said this to us 850 years ago, that everything was created in the first day of creation. And Chazal tells us this also. The sages tell us, we have so many sources going back saying that everything was created in the first moment, on the first day of creation, and then it later became different things as time moved forward. Now here's the amazing thing. If you actually go through the story of Genesis, and you look at the timeline of the universe coming into being until the point where we have now wood and cars and and, and delicious lunches and Torah anytime. It actually follows the days of creation. So let's go through. The beginning is boom, this explosion of light. Then it starts creating, colliding, creating heavier and heavier elements. And eventually it starts forming into these big clumps, these almost undifferentiated clumps. The earliest form of the earth, according to science, was covered in what they call the primordial soup. This liquid with lots of elements. That's the second day of creation, when God finally starts separating things out. And there's actually, this is a clump. This is called earth. And that's the heavens, and that's other stuff. And there's the beginning of the formation of planets, and stars, and massive glo- you know, balls of energy clumping together. Then, on the third day of creation, God starts separating things out, and we see the first form of life. The first form of life, according to the scientific timeline, is, of course, plant life, because that can make its own energy, right? Plant life makes energy by eating sun. So you could not have animal life first, because animal life needs to eat something that has energy. So the first kind of energy in the world is plant life. That's on the third day of creation. The water start receding, and plants start showing up. Now, of course, the fourth day of creation, you're like, wait a second, the sun and the moon and the solar system? The sun and the moon and the solar system, the way they are today in their final formation, is relatively young. Four or five million years, a billion years old, I'm sorry. Three, four, five billion, depending, everything had to, the, the, the planets were still clearing up the neighborhood. You can Google that term if you'd like. Cleaning up the neighborhood. But the way we have our solar system today is actually much, much more new than the Earth itself. Because the earth was just an early form of a big rock. Later on, as things are forming and the neighborhood starts getting cleaned up, we finally have all the Saturn and Pluto and Jupiter and everything set in place. It's the fourth day of creation. And you have aquatic creatures being created. Aquatic and, and winged creatures being created on the fifth day. On the sixth day, you have mammals and land animals and eventually, most recently, humans. That follows a timeline, the scientific timeline, to the T. Or more importantly, the scientific timeline follows our Torah to the T. Now, I don't want you guys to geek out too much. This is definitely a very science-heavy class. But let's talk for a moment about a big discovery that was made July 4th, 2012. Right? July 4th, happened to work out on July 4th, they discovered the Higgs boson. The Higgs boson is... Okay. You guys ready for some, some intense science over here? Imagine you have an explosion of light. Now, how many points are there on a ball? All of them. <laughs> All of them. I like that. That's a great answer. 
How many points are there on a ball? Infinite. There are infinite points on a ball. Imagine if there was a ball, and from there exploded out all the light rays. All those light rays would have just gone on ad infinitum without colliding into each other, because they just would have all... Imagine, again, you have a ball, the ball has infinite points on it, the ball explodes outwards, and all those beams just go out, and they would never have collided. In order to get heavier elements, we need all those things to start colliding and creating heavier and heavier particles and eventually elements and atoms and so on and so forth. How did that happen? The answer is, scientists have also known this for years, they were trying to prove it, that even the Big Bang didn't happen in a vacuum. The Big Bang happened in a framework. The way I describe it is like, imagine black jello. Okay? If you can imagine the following scenario. Imagine I'm standing at the bottom of an Olympic-sized swimming pool. And I have in my hand 60 guns on each side. Okay? Right? This is before the gun control amendments. Alrighty? So here we go. I'm like in a western. You know what I'm saying? This guy says, you know, uh, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna fight at high noon or whatever. And I just like, boom, boom. I draw like 60 guns in each hand. I'm like, you sure you want to do this? Right? Now imagine I've got 60 guns in each hand. And I have, I, I have just an empty, an empty swimming pool. I pull the trigger. There should be, it would be a loud noise. I hope everyone's wearing proper ear protection. At the end of that, there would be, at the end of each, at the end of each one of my hands, there would be 60 holes in the other end of the pool, right? Because all those bullets would have flown straight and they would have hit the other side. Let's say, instead of the pool being filled with air, let's say the pool was filled with Thick, thick jello, black jello. And now I've got 60 guns on each side, and I pull the triggers, boom, and all these tracers, all these bullets are flying through, but they're in a thick mesh. So they start, their, their trajectory gets thrown off, and they start banging into each other. Now at the end of the pool, instead of having 60 holes on each side, I might only have 54 holes on each side, because some of the, or maybe 58 holes, 59 holes, because some of those bullets would have hit each other. The same thing goes with the Earth. If you just have a Big Bang, everything goes out and never hits each other. But if your Big Bang is into a thick framework, if the universe is actually real, has energy to it, then the bullets going out by the Big Bang would have hit each other and created bigger elements. Scientists had always believed that the world, even before the Big Bang, was there. They couldn't find that particle. It's called the Higgs boson a piece of that black jello. They discovered it on July 4th, 2012. There's a Gemara, though, in Rosh Hashanah, Tractate Rosh Hashanah, 32a. Rav Yosef says, the ten verses that we read on Rosh Hashanah correspond to the ten commandments that were said at Mount Sinai. Rav Yochanan said, no, they correspond to the ten statements of creation that God said. And the Lord said, let there be light. And the Lord said, let there be a you know, uh, vegetation. And the Lord said, let the dry land show. And the Lord said, let there be luminaries in the heavens. The Gemara says, hold on a second. I'm going to fact check you, Rabbi Yochanan. They open up their Torah and they say, we went through it. There's only nine. It's only nine. Starting with the Lord said, let there be light. Ending with the Lord said, let us create man. There's only nine. To which the Gemara answers, no, no, no. By Yomer de Bereshis, uh, sorry, Bereshis Nami Mamar Hava, Ha'hu. The very statement in the beginning 
is already a statement of creation, i.e., before light was created, there was already a creation. That's the Higgs boson. That's what we discovered on July 4th, 2012, when scientists showed us that there conclusively is proof that even before the Big Bang, which we call Vayomer Elohim Yehi R, there was something there. It's amazing. Scientists are slowly, slowly discovering all these things that we've known all along. That is idea number three. We are getting low on time. And we still have two more ideas. The next one, now we're going to vacillate back to 6,000 years. We just did two 6,000 years. We did one 13.4 billion years. Now we're going to do one that says 6,000 years is 13.4 billion years. Now that's called some real government economics. 6,000 is 13.5 billion, right? There is no inflation, nothing to see here. Transitory inflation. There's no problem, there's no inflation, right? How do you put that? How do you say 6,000 is 13.5 billion? Very simple. Where are you at? Where are you at? What do I mean by that? Albert Einstein, one of those good Jewish boys from back in Europe, he discovered that time equals space. What do I mean by that? The larger a mass is, the slower time moves down. Time is affected by mass too. That's called the theory of relativity. Right, which means that time is relative to space. So, for example, something's speeding through space, and then it comes into the orbit of a massive planet, and it slows down and keeps going. To put it in a different way, imagine, as a thought experiment, that Adam was like, okay, you dentist, you get out. I'm done with you. The dentist. Remember the dentist from the beginning of the class? Yeah. Adam's like, dentist, you are out of here. Now, Adam has incredible spiritual powers. Adam takes the dentist and just shoots him off to the surface of Jupiter. It would be very, very hard to stand on the surface of Jupiter for many, many reasons, but I'm not going to get into those right now. Not the winds and not the, the, the gravity, but imagine now you have a conversation with this dentist. Like, hey, Bobby, how you doing over there? He's like, huh, the weather is not so great. I'm like, here too, it's snowing in October. He's like, no, no, you don't understand. <laughs> the weather is not great on Jupiter, Okay. Now, he's like, I want to do an experiment with you. Let's each count a minute on our watches. Okay, here we go. On your watch, get set, go. I go through a minute. I'm like, done. And he's like, no, 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 Done. Why? Time moves slower on Jupiter because Jupiter is much bigger. Now, think about it like this. Where is the 6,000 years being calculated? When we talk about the beginning of creation, is it 13.5 billion years or 6,000 years? It depends on where you are. There are places in the universe that we can go through over here two weeks, and for them it's a minute. Time is relative. If you start off from God's perspective, in the beginning of creation, right? God is at the center of it all. All the mass of the universe, all the energies, all collected in one space, Time is moving so slowly. It looks like six billion years 
to us, because we're on this very, very small planet right now where time moves so fast, but from there, it looks like six, seven billion years old. And then actually, the fascinating thing, if you actually do this, if you go to the earlier days of creation, time is moving faster as we go through the days of creation. The first day is the Big Bang, let there be light. That takes like seven billion years until the things start clumping together. There's something called inflation also, which is not just a government issue to deal with. There's actually something in science called inflation. It's amazing, by the way. There was a a scientist who was writing an article about, there's an inflation concept in physics, that when the world was first created in the Big Bang, there was this moment where just the world expanded much faster than normal. And this this scientist, a female scientist, she submitted a paper to a journal about the inflation in the early universe, and she literally was sent back a letter saying, we only will accept this if you talk about how this inflation particularly affected minority communities. <laughs> I'm not even kidding. What a world. <laughs> anyway, those days there weren't many minority communities. There weren't many communities, period. But if you actually go through creation, time speeds up. So the first days of creation are 6 billion, and then gets 3 billion and 4 billion. By the time you get to mankind in day 6... Mankind's only around for a very short period of time. So it actually fits with that. Okay, I want to do just one more concept. I want to read to you the writings of a rabbi who lived in the 1800s, who was around when dinosaurs were first being discovered. It's so beautiful. There's a concept, and I read to you the, the, the source for this before. The source is also in the Medrash Rabbah, Amar Abevo. Rabbi said, Hashem was creating worlds and destroying them until He created this world. There's a few places in the sages where it talks about how God created and destroyed 974 worlds. Okay? We can get to that a different time. If you... God created and destroyed 974 worlds. There are those that believe that the dinosaurs and the petro, you know, the petroleum under the ground and all that is all leftovers from previous iterations of the world. It's like, you know how you get like, okay, so for example, you get an iPhone, and then you got iPhone 2, iPhone 3, iPhone 7, iPhone 9, iPhone 14, iPhone 15, right? They're now up to iPhone 15. We're living in world nine, version 975, right? God created 974 worlds before and destroyed them. If you want to see what was in them, just dig a little. And you'll find all kinds of things from previous worlds. Listen to what the Tiferes Yisrael wrote. Let me read. The Tiferes Yisrael was a rabbi named Rabbi Yisrael Lifshitz. He was born in the year 1782 in Dessau. And he died in the year 1860, okay, in Danzig. He was the author of the Tiferes Yisrael on the Mishnah. He led a very ascetic life. He, was, uh, he frequently fasted for three days at a time. He studied incessantly. He wrote an ethical will before he died. It has 28 paragraphs telling people how to live in moral ways. He wrote the, <clears throat> he wrote the um, Tiferes Yisrael, which is one of the most, pri- the most commonly learned commentaries on the Mishnah. He also wrote something called the, um, he wrote something called the Darush Ar Hachaim, which talks about the age of the universe. And I want to read to you exactly what he wrote about it. And again, this is from a rabbi living. He passed, passed away in the 1860s. So this is what he writes. As regards to the past, Rabbi Avo stated in the, in the beginning of Barashish Rabbah that the words, and it was evening and it was morning, indicate that there was a series of epochs before then. The Holy One created worlds and destroyed them, approving some and not others. 
The Kabbalists expanded upon the statements and revealed that this process is repeated seven times, each Shemitah achieving greater perfection than the last. They also tell us that we are now in the midst of the fourth of the great cycles of perfection. Whatever that means, right? Continues this rabbi from the 1800s. We are enabled to appreciate the full, wonderful accuracy of our Holy Torah when we see that this secret doctrine handed down by word of mouth for so long and revealed to us by the sages of the Kabbalah many centuries ago has been borne out in the clearest possible way by the science of our generation. The questing spirit of man probing and delving into the recesses of the earth and the Pyrenees and the Carpathians, the Rocky Mountains in America and the Himalayas has found them to be formed of mighty layers of rock lying upon one another in amazing and chaotic formations, explicable only in terms of revolutionary transformations of the earth's surface. Probing still further deep below the earth's surface, geologists have found four distinct layers of rock, and between the layers fossilized remains of creatures. Those in the lower layers are of monstrous size and structure, while those in the higher layers are progressively smaller in size, but incomparably more refined in structure and form. Furthermore, they found in Siberia in 1807, under the eternal ice of those regions, a monstrous type of element, elephant, some three or four times larger than those found today. Similarly, fossilized remains of sea creatures have been found within the recesses of the highest mountains. And scientists have calculated that of every 78 species found on the Earth, 48 Species are no longer found in our present epoch. We also know of the remains of an enormous creature found deep in the earth near Baltimore, 17 feet long and 11 feet high. These have been also found in Europe and have been given the name Mammoth. Another gigantic creature whose fossilized remains have been found is that which is called Iguanodon, which stood 15 feet high and measured 90 feet in length. From its internal structure, scientists have determined that it was herbivorous. Another creature is that which is called Megalosaurus, which was slightly smaller than the Iguanodon, but which was meat-eating. From all this we can see that all the Kabbalists have told us for so many years about the repeated destruction and renewal of the earth has found clear confirmation in our time. Here is a brilliant, clairvoyant rabbi living in the 1800s as the dinosaurs are beginning to be discovered is not sitting on the side while people are sitting in science class and diggling for fossils and saying, we don't believe in dinosaurs. It's saying, this is beautiful proof of what our Kabbalists and our sages have told us that the world went through many, many iterations of God creating worlds and destroying them. So, in summation, in summation, ladies and gentlemen, Five understandings of the age of the universe. Number one, it's 6,000 years old only. It's 5,783, but it was created ready-made, so it looks like it's very old. Number two, the marble had a major effect, the pressure and the intense temperature. It's like a diamond being created, and Edna makes it look very old, even though it's actually quite young, like Aunt Edna, 5,783 years old. Number three... The statements of the, of the creation story are describing epochs, and we gave sources showing that there are sources saying there's a different set, set of time back then, and indicating that the seven days, the six days of creation were actually massive epochs, and how science has slowly crawled to discover what we in the Torah have been saying this entire time. For years and years, they've been resisting and telling us we were the fools, but ultimately they kept changing their tune again and again and again, from a static universe, to a created universe, to a universe that started with light, to a universe that started with the Higgs boson before light, which is all what we have in our sources going back thousands of years. 
to the idea of the world being 5,783 years old, but it also being 13,400 13, million years old. It just depends on your perspective, where you are, and what the mass is, and time is slowing down. And the last idea, that everything we're discovering underneath, all the dinosaurs and all that, are remnants of previous worlds that God created and destroyed, as described by our sages in multiple places. Thank you all so much for coming. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being awesome. You guys are the best. Take care. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.